If you have a Bible, you can open it to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll probably spend the most amount of time in, in there this morning. So here's where we're at. We were in this series called Live in Freedom, and then I took a week off because we had the baby, and uh, who's, by the way, he's in the back. Hi, August. I love you, buddy. First time to church this morning. And um, then I came back and I preached a, a sermon on kind of in the series. Uh, the title was No Longer Afraid. We could also say it was to live in um, or to live free from fear. And so that kind of ties us into the series. And today what I want to do is I want to pick up on where we left off last week. And I want to go back into uh, this idea of fear, um, not so that we can just dwell on fear, but so that we can see why it is more clearly we don't have to be afraid. If our statement last week was no longer afraid and we built in some ideas on why we don't have to be afraid and all of that, today I want to give you the ultimate reason on why as a Christ follower you don't have to be afraid. This morning I want to talk about authority. Authority. And talk about where real authority rests. And how when we understand the, um, the process of authority, how it frees us as followers of Christ. Last week's talk all stemmed from um, John 10, 10, where it says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Christ said, have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full, or as you may have heard it, that they may have it abundantly. And so last week we talked about how uh, so much in our culture right now is uh, um, stealing and stripping away abundant life, but Christ came to give us that. And so we're no longer afraid. We're going to walk in faith. I gave you two definitions last week. Definition one was a definition for fear. Fear is an emotional response to your present circumstances that distorts both current and future reality. Fear makes you look in, uh, in, the, in the current moment and have irrational thinking. Uh, fear distorts what God is saying and makes you believe what other people or other entities are saying. And, and fear distorts your ability to look um, correctly right now and into the future. And some of us have been carrying those thoughts of fear. And over the last seven days, um, we've been engaging in our first seven days of 19 days of um, choosing faith over fear. A lot of you have been joining me on Facebook every morning at 7.30. We'll keep doing that this week, every day but Sunday. Uh, we're going to do this for, I guess we got 12 more days, and we're going to keep choosing faith over fear. And the definition of faith that we gave last week is this. Faith is an unwavering commitment to the truth of God's word that stabilizes both your heart and mind regardless of your present circumstances. And so faith says, you can throw enemy, devil, world, anything at me, but my heart and mind are stabilized because of where I've placed my faith. So I hope this week that faith helps stabilize your heart and your mind in some things maybe you were concerned about. An unwavering commitment to the truth of God's word. Now, some notes on authority. Some notes on authority. Authority cannot exist without a standard of truth. If there's no standard of truth, if there's not an underlying truth factor, then there cannot be authority. Easiest example is my relationship with my soon-to-be three-year-old daughter. When I look at her and say, daddy is in charge. The other day, I was trying to teach her that phrase, daddy is in charge. And so I said, Reagan, repeat after me. 
Daddy? And she goes, Reagan? I said, bad start. But isn't that what we do sometimes? And God's like, hey, I'm in charge. And we go, me? No. Authority, authority can only be present where there's a standard of truth. The standard of truth uh, in my relationship with Reagan is I'm in charge. I get to dictate what happens here. That's the truth. Without a standard of truth, there can't be authority because everyone will say, well, why do I have to listen to that? Or we would ask the question under whose authority? And so I can make statements like, you don't have to live in fear anymore. You can live in faith. Excuse me. You can trust. I don't know what that was. (laughs) Whew, okay. It's like a snort mixed with a... Okay. Somebody out there is like, he just spit out a demon. That was not a demon. Okay. What was I even saying? Oh, if there's no standard of truth, then you would just ask the question, well, under whose authority? I don't have to do that. Under whose authority? Right? Like if Reagan looked at me and said, well, I don't have to go to bed. Under whose authority? Mine. Punk, right? See, in the garden, the serpent looked and said, did God really say? Do you really have to listen to what God said? Did he really do that? Do you really have to obey his command? Or he's threatening authority right at the beginning. In Jesus' early time when he was teaching, a group of guys came up. This is in Matthew chapter 21. They said, "Um, hey, Jesus, under whose authority are you saying these things? Why? Because they knew... They knew that if they could cast doubt on Jesus' authority to speak what he was speaking, if they could cast doubt on whether or not it was true, then they wouldn't have to listen. So if, if, if they can poke in and say, well, uh, Jesus, you don't have the authority to say these things, and so we don't have to listen to it, so we can step out of it. I can look at you and say, you don't have to live in fear anymore. You can choose faith, and you can say, but under whose authority can you say that? I don't have to listen to that. Or this is foolishness. We put out a video of last week's sermon on Facebook and got some really nice comments. And by that, I mean, they weren't really nice comments. And maybe you read them. Some guy used a couple of strong words that I won't repeat in church or really anywhere. And, the, uh, and he said, so you're choosing 19 days of prayer where you hold your hands and, you know, think about nothing. And he was attacking the idea of prayer. What was he saying? He's saying prayer does nothing because there's no authority in it. Now, as a Christian, when when Christians say, you should pray, what what are we in essence saying? We're saying that the reason there's power in prayer, the reason that you can choose faith over fear is because we understand a proper authority structure. That we understand that it is God who is in charge. By the way, the end of the story with Jesus was uh, this. Jesus asked them some questions, and he uh, was very smart, and then they wouldn't want to answer a question that he asked them. And so Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you by whose authority that I'm operating under. And they kind of walked away. But then in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus answers the question very clearly on where authority rests. Let me back up a second. Authority can only exist where there's absolute truth. As Christ followers, we know that absolute truth is found only in God. 
And so God equals authority. God equals authority. Why? Because he's the standard of truth. So God's in charge. But in Matthew 28, we see something really interesting. In Matthew 28, we see that Jesus says, I have been given all authority. That somehow in the triune nature of God, the authority rested with the Father, but upon the death and resurrection of Christ, the authority was transferred from the Father to the Son. And so now Jesus says, I have been given, which means that authority is something that can be granted. Authority is something that can move from one to another, even in the context of the Trinitarian nature of God. And so it goes from the Father to the Son. Now, Matthew 28 is the Great Commission at the end of it. Most of us know it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But even more important than the Great Commission is what bookends the Great Commission. Before Jesus gives the Great Commission, it says, therefore. Why does it say, therefore? Because Jesus has spoken before it, I have been given all authority. And because I've been given all authority, now go make disciples. And then he wraps up the Great Commission by saying what? And I'll be with you always. The commission in the middle is really important, but what's on either side of it, I would say, is even more important. Jesus has been given all authority. It was passed from the Father to the Son. And so the process of authority moved like this. God equals authority because he's the standard of absolute truth. And then the authority was passed on to Jesus. We'll find out in Ephesians chapter 1 because of what happened in his death and resurrection. And so now the authority up into this point rests with Christ. He has it. Now we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. One of my, well, I always say that. I say one of my favorite verses, but I mean, it's a good book. There's a lot of them. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's telling them something. He's saying, hey, I've heard about your faith. Let me tell you what kind of faith nobody ever talks about. Little faith. Nobody ever says, man, I met this great, incredible person of really small faith. It was amazing. Right? We don't talk about things that aren't worth talking about. Nobody posts on Facebook, had a great trip to Wendy's today right? Somebody offered me Burger King coupons the other day, like to do what with, right? How many times do you see Facebook posts on great food, right? You talk about things that are worth talking about. And what is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, I have heard about your faith. If there is something that I want people to say that they have heard about me or this church, it's our faith. It's the level of faith and it's not just the level of faith, it's your faith in Christ Jesus. Like, let's give him something to talk about. And that thing to talk about is great faith. Paul says, I've heard about your faith. It's like, it's like spreading. People are talking about your faith. And right now, it would not be uncommon to say, man, I've heard about your worry. 
I've heard about your fear. I've heard about your doubt. I mean, that's, we've all heard about that. Paul says, I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your faith. What would someone say about your faith? Paul says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints. Because of that, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, who is Paul praying for here? The letter is written to the church at Ephesus. Paul is writing here to Christ followers. I mean, these guys have faith and they have love towards the saints. Like read the Bible. If you have faith and you love fellow Christians, that means you're already a Christian. It means that Paul is not writing to people with the hope that they might understand salvation. You're gonna see here in a moment, Paul is writing to people so that they might understand what it is that they have in their salvation. This is not, I hope you become saved. This is now that you are in Christ, I want you to know what you have in Jesus. Somebody shared a metaphor with me uh, uh, a couple days ago. And it was like somebody who goes on a cruise. I've never been on a cruise, right? Um, and they got their little like four by four bunk that you sleep in when you go on a cruise, right? And the rest of the cruise has all of the amenities and um, world-class chefs that are there making you food, okay? Just imagine it's the best cruise that ever existed. And the person just stays in their room the entire time, not knowing what is available to them. The example being that Paul is writing to these Christians and he's saying, I need you to step out of the four by four room and realize what is available to you now that you are in your salvation. Here's how I know he's doing that because this is what he is praying. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is what Paul was praying for Christ followers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you, may give you. Paul is praying to a group of people who are already Christ followers, and he's saying, you are lacking something. You don't quite have it all understood quite yet. And so I'm going to pray that this right here, this thing that I'm about to read, that it would be given to you, Christ follower, that you would receive it, this isn't salvation. This is something else that you would receive, that he may give you what? The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul is praying that the church at Ephesus might know the, the, the wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and the, and the revelation there's something Paul is saying that you need to know. Remember, the truth sets us free. So you can't be free until you know everything that you need to know. The path to being fully free is to know everything that God wants us to know. The more truth that I know, the more free I can become. that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's praying to the church at Ephesus. You guys, you gotta receive this church at Ephesus. You've gotta get this spirit of wisdom. You gotta get this spirit of revelation, which apparently means, by the way, it doesn't just come standard with the package. 
right? Like, you know, when you purchase something on Amazon and it says other people also buy this, like add to your cart. They don't even give you a discount. It's the dumbest thing. This apparently isn't part of the standard package of coming into Christ because Paul is looking at a group of people who have already come into Christ and saying, now I'm going to ask that you would receive something. In other words, you don't have something, but you need to have it. I know I'm circling this point 37 times because I need, I need us on it. That he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, what is it that we're supposed to know, Paul? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. This is language that we typically reserve for people who are not yet in Christ. We say, God, open up their eyes. God, open up their hearts. Paul isn't saying this to people who are unsaved. He's saying it to people that are saved, that something would turn on in your heart. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know, that you may know the end result of what Paul is hoping for here is a, um, a church in Ephesus that knows something. What is it that he wants them to know? That you may know first what is the hope to which he has called you. The first thing Paul says, you got to know this. You got to know the hope to which he has called you. Now, all three of the things that Paul is going to say, I want you guys to know this, are all going to be things that we are looking forward to into the future. It's a lens with which to look at. And the first one is hope. Hope, hope, hope. It's one of those words you say it enough, it kind of sounds weird. Hope. Paul says, I need you to know the hope. Peter says, I need you to always give a reason for the hope that you have. It's also called a living hope. This word is all over the scriptures. It's one of the things that the Christian is supposed to hold on to as an anchor in understanding our faith. So what is the hope to which he has called us to? This one's probably the easiest one to explain. The hope to which he has called us to all revolves around and centers around the fact that the tomb was empty and Jesus rose from the grave. The hope to which he has called us to is the fact that Jesus resurrected and didn't just resurrect, but resurrected as the firstborn now of resurrection, which means all of us will too in Christ resurrect someday. Said another way, Christ conquered death. When Paul in Romans talks about how nothing can separate us from the love of God, he starts with death because it is the most powerful force. Right? There's nothing more final than death until Christ rose from it. And so now not even death, not even death is a final statement anymore. And if death isn't a final statement, then any of the things underneath it, well, then we don't have to fear those either. If I don't even have to fear death, then I don't have to fear anything else. And Paul is saying that is the anchor for your hope. That is the hope to which he has called you to. That is why in our definition of faith, that regardless of your present circumstances, faith can stabilize your heart and your mind because your hope is only in the resurrection. Now, what we tend to do is hope hop. And what we do is we fix our eyes on a hope right? And then at some point in time in life, that particular hope disappears. And so we hop over to another hope. 
And we spend our lives hope hopping. And sometimes the hope is a spouse. And sometimes the hope is a job. And sometimes the hope, fill in the blank. And we all know this, that sometimes that thing will disappear at some point in time. And so we just hop over to another hope. Paul's saying, I want you to know that you don't have to hope hop anymore. You can stop it. And you can place your hope in the one thing that will never go. Christ and his resurrection. That's the first one. He says, you got to know that. You got to know the hope to which he has called you. He says, secondly, then you have to know this, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. By the way, Paul is going to talk about three things that we get in this, hope, riches, and power. And so if somebody says, Christianity, I don't know about that. Sounds kind of boring. You're promised hope, riches, and power. This is like what everybody is chasing in life. And Jesus says, I'll give it to you. Hope, riches. What are the glorious riches, or what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, we could talk about what are these riches mean? What, what, what is this particular set of riches? Well, here's what we do know for a fact. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is going to tell us that the down payment of those riches is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit as a down payment means that whatever comes after it must be pretty amazing. Because the down payment is just a sampling of what is to come. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment of it. So whatever these riches are, the Holy Spirit is the down payment or the first installment of these riches. The Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian part of God that now dwells inside of us, that guides us, that reminds us of what Christ has said, that convicts us, that challenges us, that encourages us, that inspires us. That is the down payment of these riches. I told you the other day, uh, a couple weeks ago, that our definition of freedom was to live in the Spirit and enjoy the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, that freedom that the Holy Spirit begins to give us is just the down payment of all of the goodness. Paul calls them here riches that we have in Christ. The Holy Spirit is just, just the first part. Now, if you've ever been in the Spirit, if you've been walking in the Holy Spirit, if you have sensed the joy of the Holy Spirit, to know that that is just the sampling of what is to come. He says, so you've got a hope that can't be taken and you have got riches and the Holy Spirit is just the beginning. Third thing he says you got to know is this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? It's not even just power. It's immeasurable greatness of his power, a phrase that ties the reader back to the idea of resurrection power. He's saying, you have to also know the Power, the immeasurable greatness of his power, that is what? Toward us who believe. The power is toward us. What is the power? It's a resurrection power. In other words, it's an ability to take what is old and make it new, what is dead and make it alive, what is lost and make it found. He's saying the power to transform the power to renew, that power is now towards you. It's why as Christians, we don't say, well, that'll never change. No, resurrection power tells me anything can change. We look through this whole situation, we know what? There's never a reason for the Christian to be hopeless. 
which we know is uh, um, a, a reason for great despair here on earth. But Christ has just told us you have a hope that you never have to give up. So there's no reason for the Christian to ever be hopeless. Well, um, remember when, you, okay, let me just say it through my lens. I remember when I was in college, okay, and I had to make the very difficult decision between am I going to um, spend big money and go to Chipotle or am I going to go to Panera and get a bagel with just butter, okay? And then at some point in time, you get past that season in life and it's, you know, it's great. Now you can go to Chipotle when you want. The point is this, when, when the riches, when, when you have something like money and you want something, what do you do? You buy it. Easy. Paul here is saying that you have these riches. In other words, what he's saying is, if there's something in life that you need, guess what? You have it. If it's something you truly need, you can truly get it because you have the riches in Christ. So in this three things, Paul is saying you have a hope that can never be taken. You have all needs that will be provided. And then you also have a power to change any situation. So let's just recap for a second. Paul's saying, hey, Christian, I know that you're now in Christ and you have salvation and it's a really good start to have salvation. We call that redemption around here. But our mission statement is not that you would just experience redemption, but that you would also live in freedom. And the way to live in freedom is to now know what it is that you have in Christ, which is a hope that can't be taken, a riches that will provide all it is that you truly need on this earth and a power to change any situation. That's a good life. That's an abundant life. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? This is just a paraphrase or a parenthesis telling us how this all happened. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. By the way, that's not like a... It's just a positional thing. He's, he's next to God now. Seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, here's the good part. It's all good. It's Bible. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. This is Christ. He was raised from the dead. The authority was transferred to him. And when the authority was transferred from him, he is now far above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion. He's far above it. He's not like a fourth grader is to a third grader. He's like a doctor is to a preschooler. Far above all rule and authority. In other words, Jesus looks down at all rule and authority like this. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? And then he gives us another example of what it means just in case we're not uh, seeing the disconnect between Jesus' rule and authority and earthly rule and authority. He says he's far above. So that's one example. Maybe you've been in a really high place and you've looked down. And so that example uh, makes sense for you. But let me give you another one just in case it doesn't. He says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In other words, he's above everything. He's above every other name. No other name, no other word. Nothing else matters other than Jesus. He's above it all. And he's not just kind of above it all. He's far above it all. Way above it all. So why are you afraid again? Oh, but now he gives us another example. He tells us the second part of this. He says, and he put all things under his feet. I read that last week. And he put, God did, when he transferred the authority over to Jesus, he put all things under Jesus's feet. He put all things under Jesus's feet which means everything that could make you worried, everything that could uh, make you afraid, everything that could steal your hope, 
Everything that can make you feel like you're broke instead of having the riches that he's given you. Everything that can make you think like you're powerless to see anything happen. All of that stuff, he just put it under Jesus' feet. I know I'm using a lot of Reagan references this morning, but they're helpful. The other day we were over at my sister's house. She has a very large dog. And when Reagan sees the dog, she literally starts shaking. Like shaking and screaming. And the dog is actually very nice. He's just large. This is what Reagan has never done. She has never seen an ant and started shaking. Now I understand what Reagan's going through, right? If, I, if there's an elephant running at me, I might shake a little bit. That would be a little scary. I'm the spider killer in my family. I know there's always one in every family. I'm the spider killer in my family. They don't scare me. I like to just pick them up, look at them, taste the leg, you know, whatever. Because when you see a spider, like in my head, I know some of you are like, this is a bad example because I'm terrified of spiders, but just pretend like you weren't for a second. When I see a spider different than an elephant, the reason it doesn't scare me is because when the spider gets close, literally the only thing I have to do is this. That's it. Like it's as easy as that and it's over. Now, if an elephant comes at me and I do that, I'm done. So a spider comes into the house, then an ant comes into the house, and it's pretty easy. And the example here that the scripture is giving us is everything that you and I fear in this life, everything that keeps us up at night, everything that makes us worried, everything that makes us doubt God's ability, doubt his power and all of that. Jesus is up there going. And so you lose your job and you think the whole world is over because you're never gonna get taken care of and God's up there like. And you get sick or, 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 or there's a pandemic and you think we're all going to die because I went to the gas station and I touched something. And God's like, I can handle this. I can handle this. And like the whole point of these first two sermons is that right now the overwhelming idea that we're supposed to be receiving from culture is that God isn't in control and he can't handle anything. And God's up there like... And I can tell you, I am, for one, and maybe there's some more of you out there, am sick and tired of being told who has authority. Who has authority? God had the authority and he passed it on to Jesus. And so I'm going to trust that authority. Paul said, I want to see you do a jig. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things. Well, hold on, let me stop for a second. Listen, if you walked out of here today and I was done right now, I'd want you walking out like this. Just as a reminder of what Jesus is doing. But I'm not done. And he gave him his head. Listen, it gets better. And he put all things under his feet. All things under his feet, which is just a reminder to us that we don't have to worry and we don't have to fear because Jesus has got it under his feet. And he gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church. 
So he put all things under his feet. Then he also simultaneously made Jesus the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so after God gave the authority to Jesus and he placed him over the church, the church then, it says, becomes the fullness of all or the fullness of Christ which means then Jesus takes his authority and he rests it on his head as the head of the church. Okay. This is where it gets fun for you guys. Which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, Ephesians chapter two is just a understanding of how it is that we come to salvation and the fact that the Gentiles got grafted in. Okay, and then we jump over to Ephesians chapter three. And, um, and then all of a sudden, Ephesians chapter 3, when you understand what's going on, Ephesians chapter 1 makes a little bit more sense. Because in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, I hope you can see this. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. So that through the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you understand what was just read? The father said, Jesus, because you were obedient, obedient even to the point of death, you now have all the authority. And then Jesus was made the head of the church. And what did he do? He said, hey, I'm the head, but you're my hands and you're my feet. So here's some authority. The authority in here moves from the father to the son to the church. You say, well, that's a big statement. Well, this verse backs it up. So does Matthew chapter 16. Go read it. So that through the church, how does God want to move his authority? He moved it into Jesus. And then Jesus said, well, I'm going to do what my father did. I'm going to move it through the church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation that was just talked about in chapter one might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, when it says heavenly places there, it's not talking about good spiritual things. It's just talking about the spiritual world. It's talking about the spiritual battle that we talked about last week, that all of this fear and everything that we're facing right now is a spiritual battle and you have to attack spiritual battles and spiritual weapons. And what this is telling us now is how do you fight that? The authority went from God to Jesus. Now it's through his church and it's saying what the church needs to do is to let the rulers and the authorities know what is true in the spiritual world. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Friends, it means that if we want to see change happen, transformation happen here on this earth, the way that God is going to do it is when the church says, this is what is true and this is what is real. So that through the church, this might be made known. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, which is just a reminder of saying this was always his plan because back in the beginning, what did he tell humanity to do? To have dominion. And then it was lost because of sin. And then Jesus came back. And one of the reasons he had to be fully man and um, 
fully God, but one of the reasons he had to be fully man as well is so that the promise of Genesis 1 that humanity would do and have dominion over the earth could come true. And then Jesus resurrects and he says, I'm going to fulfill the ultimate command at the beginning that with humanity having dominion over the earth by placing it in my church. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus. In other words, it was always his strategy to use his church in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our what? Through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering to you, which is your glory. He's saying, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give in. He said, through faith, you've got to tell some rulers and authorities in the spiritual world that it's time to go. And Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This um, scripture is prettier. It would be prettier with music. Izzy, where are you? Izzy Roth, everybody. You even have a platform now. You're, you're already taller than me, but now you are. Even more. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Paul is saying, church at Ephesus, you don't have to walk through life. You don't have to walk through this Christian life with your inside um, wasting away, dwindling down, feeling depleted, knowing no hope, thinking you don't have the resources you need, thinking that you're powerless to see things change. You got to know what you have in Christ. Let your heart be re-strengthened and then tell some spiritual forces, it's time to go. Through his spirit in your inner being. Let me just ask right now. Friend, are you here this morning and your inner being feels like it's wasting away? We have all sorts of words for it. I'm exhausted. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I'm tired. I don't have any peace. I'm scared. I don't see any hope. Realize what you have in Christ. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. What a phrase. There actually has to be a, like an inner strength in you to understand what it is that you have in Christ. He, he's saying, he's saying the, 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 there's a weak type of faith that doesn't even have enough strength to fully understand what you have. He said, I'm actually going to pray that you are strong enough to um, be able to understand and know what you have in Christ. 
that you would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you right here, right now say, yeah, I've been redeemed. I'm in Christ. I've crossed that line of salvation. That's a great start. Good for you. I'll see you in heaven. I'm happy. But if you don't have all of the fullness of God dwelling in you through faith with Christ dwelling richly in your heart, then you haven't even begun to tap in to what it is that you have in Christ. And then he says this, now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Wait a second. I've heard this verse over and over. God would do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine. That God would do this and God would do that. And we pray, God, do what you want to do, that it would be greater than anything we can think, imagine, dream up of, write down whatever it might be. And I do believe that God wants to do it. But how does he say he's going to do it? How does he say he's going to do it? According to the power at work within us. You and me. Us here is clearly meaning the church. In other words, if God is going to do something that is far beyond anything we can ever imagine, the way he's going to do it is through his church. That's how he's going to do it. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I was going to end here. But then I thought there might be a couple people out here who think this sounds a little fishy to me, like, like we have this kind of authority or like we can kind of do this kind of stuff. And so I thought, well, why don't we just go to the words of Jesus real quick? Because if you want to disagree with Jesus, that's between you and him. So we're going to end with Jesus's words. John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me, I'll put the word faith in there. Whoever has faith in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And what it means that we would ask anything in Christ's name. He's saying that when you ask in alignment with Christ, it will happen. What Ephesians 1 and 3 were teaching us, that if we want to see change happen, if you want to see transformation happen, then it happens when the church begins to declare it to happen. that the power and the authority moved from God to Jesus. Jesus took his place as in charge of the church. And then he looked at the church and said, now you, you, you church, you with the abundant, great, incredible power of God in you, go make the change happen. 
And then Jesus says, how do you make it happen? Ask it in my name. So I am ready to ask for some things in the name of Jesus. So I'm going to ask some things right now in the name of Jesus. And you can pray. Maybe, maybe, if you're really bold, you can stand up and say, that's what I'm asking. Because there's something freeing. There's something freeing. about saying out loud what has been scary in your heart and mind. See, the final view of authority here, it looks like Jesus is saying in some weird way, authority goes from God to the Father to the church to even us as individuals. A couple years ago, I was sitting out in my back patio I was talking to this guy. He's my neighbor. I barely knew him. And as I was chatting with him, he was telling me about what he did. And then I asked him, I said, yeah, that's good. I said, how's work going? He said, it's going really well, but there's just this one company that I've always wanted to break into. This is like, this guy didn't know anything about me. So there's this one company I've always wanted to break into, but I just can't. He said, I feel like if I could break into and sell their product, that my business would double. This was just his words. And he was like, and I've always wanted to, but I've just never been able to do it. I've always wanted to get in, but it seems like there's like a barrier to me getting in and I just don't know how to do it and I just can't get in. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. And he said, um, I said, yeah, so, so what's the name of the business? And he said the name of the business. And I went, huh. He said, that's kind of a weird response. <laughs> he said, why did you just hum me? He didn't say that. He said, why did, why, why did you do that? I said, because my grandpa started that business in his basement in 1979. I said, I know who's in charge. So you want a phone call? You want a meeting? I said, I call one of the owners mom. If you call her that, it's going to be real weird. I said, I know who's in charge. And when you know who's in charge, all of the barriers and all of the strongholds and all of the things that are holding back access disappear in a minute. And so this morning, I want you to know, I know who's in charge. God is. He has the authority and he passed it to Jesus. And Jesus passed it to his church. And so we're going to pray this morning that some strongholds and some access points would be cleared out so that we can begin to see some change that needs to happen. Yeah, Ben, you can come up. So you pray with me. Father, There are some in this room who feel like they've been, they've been praying and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a blockage. There's something that's, that's um, um, prohibiting it right now from, from happening. There's, 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 there's stoppage that shouldn't be there. 
And so right now we're, we're not praying in any authority other than the one that you have granted. We don't want to do that. We just want to pray in the authority that you have properly placed in your church. And we want to pray in a way that brings you glory and is in alignment with how you would pray. And since we know that you said that you have come, that we would have abundant life and life that is to the fullest. And we know that you said that all of these promises that we talked about last week are true. We're just going to pray in that because we know that that would be in alignment with your will. And so, Father, even after what we've been praying about and doing over the last seven days, where there still is fear that is clamping down on hearts, I'm praying that you would break through it and bring faith, a type of faith that says, I don't care if I read one more negative news article, it's not changing what I think. And Father, right now where there are people who are um, staying up late at night because they are economically distressed, wondering where they're going to work or how they're going to earn or what they're going to do or what provision um, is going to be there, that they would know in a moment, Lord, that you can deliver more riches than any other thing in the world in a second, that you know exactly what it is that you're doing and that you provide and take care of your children. And so I'm praying for somebody tonight who hasn't slept through the night because they're so worried that tonight they would lay their head down at the beginning of the day and they wouldn't wake up until the night's over because there's trust that is building. And Father, I know that there are many with all that is going on, they have fear about their children and their children's futures. And what's this all gonna look like? And so I'm praying right now that you would teach us as parents to trust you so deeply with our kids' lives. Whew, like a weight it would be lifted. And Father, we have seen this disease, I'll call it by name, we have seen COVID destroy lives. We've seen it kill people. And so right now, anyone who is sick with it, we pray for healing. We pray for healing right now, Jesus, that you would deliver them from it. We pray that you would uh, um, give a spirit of unity and understanding on this thing so that we can take it, we can tackle it, we can move past it, and we can get back to life. And Father, I pray where hope has been lost, where we feel like we don't have enough to get by, where we feel incapable of seeing things happen, we would understand with strength to comprehend the hope, riches, and power that we have in Jesus. Because of the authority that you have passed down and through. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.